And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. We've got another one-shot episode, but before I begin, I want to I want to talk to you just a little bit about these one-shots, because um, I want you to understand that w- when I bring someone on the show to talk about their projects, th- these are no strangers to me. These are no just hooligans out there trying to make a quick buck. These are all individuals that I personally know and respect for their design choices, their their artistry, and their imagination. And uh, and there is no uh, no exception to tonight's guest. With me tonight, a personal friend of mine, but also a, just a, a, a genius when it comes to game writing and, and ideas for for adding to uh, uh, rule set contents. I mean, this guy's just got all these amazing ideas. I can't even talk about it because he's confided them in me personally, and I and I just keep every time he tells me one, I'm always like, "Why didn't I think of that?" You know. Uh, with me tonight, Jonathan Sullivan of Paraspera Games. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Though I gotta say, uh, being a hooligan out to make a buck doesn't sound too bad some days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, it's my, works, it's my right? pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so uh, you know, we for the listeners, Jonathan and I have known each other for quite a while. Um, same hometown, Lafayette, Indiana. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 share a Sunday night game uh, right now. It's the it's the Ravenloft game. You you all might have heard me talking about before. <laughs> But uh, but this guy's got it going on. He he uh, he's got a wife that games, and he's got some other uh, games that happen throughout the week. So so tell me what else you got going on, and what's going on in those games? Yeah, so like I said, yeah, we've got the the Sunday night game that we've been doing. Gosh, I mean uh, that started just before COVID and everything. Uh, really, we were starting to game together, and yeah. uh, that's that was the game that introduced me to to DCC and actually first MCC. So I, I really have you to thank for uh, introducing me to this great system and this great community <laughs> that we're a part of. Uh, beyond that, uh, I have a, an every other Thursday night game uh, that I play with some folks that I know purely online. I've never I've never actually met them face to face yet. I hope to someday. Uh, but uh, again, kind of in the middle of COVID and everything, uh, a, a guy I know from Twitter uh, who lives in upstate New York with his wife uh, tweeted out that he was thinking about maybe getting into D and D. You know, he, he'd played maybe once when he was young, but hadn't in a while. And uh, my wife immediately tweeted back to him, "Hey." Jonathan would be happy to run a game for you. So I, <laughs> before she even talked to me about this, uh, but oh. I was absolutely happy to do it. Uh, you know, that was kind of my uh, kind of lit the fire into me to actually buy the fifth edition books uh, and kind of learn the fifth edition system because I really hadn't updated uh, myself on the latest edition at that point. Uh, and so we're running just, it's very much a beer and pretzels kind of game, uh, very low stakes. Uh, you know, we bend the rules every which way to Sunday, <laughs> uh, just to have a good time, really. Uh, and that, that's been a fun game to play in because uh, I play with him and then his wife, and then my wife is a part of that game as well. And the unofficial motto of their party is uh, I set it on fire and put my boot in it. And that's kind of been <laughs> the, the way they have played all the way up to, uh, we just had our kind of our big climax actually uh, just this past uh, week or so. Uh, we played through uh, the essentials kit uh, kind of start out with, and we moved into descent into Avernus and, and they didn't get the happy ending in Avernus. They didn't get the worst ending, but it was not a happy ending. Uh, and so we've kind of been playing around. I sent them on a quest to get the deck of many things. And uh, they made the decision on their own when they got the deck. They were going to pull a card 
with the hopes that maybe they could somehow rectify what they had done at the end of Descent into Avernus to try to get the happy ending. And lo and behold, there was two cards in the deck that may have, may have let them do it. They had kind of a, it was, I guess, a one in 11 chance and they pulled it off. I, wow. it was amazing. I, it was a pure random roll of the, uh, it, pull of the deck. This wasn't even after like a couple draws and a couple characters dying or becoming, you know, farm animals or anything like that nope first draw of the deck and mm. I, I told him whatever happens happens with the deck you know i'm not pulling any punches on this uh and they <laughs> they pulled it out and so they've now gone back in time and rectified and gotten the happy ending and boy i gotta tell you it made my little dm dm heart just smile <laughs> just smile to see them pull that out so <laughs> yeah that's awesome um uh, I, you know i i'm trying to think if if we've ever talked about this or not uh just in conversation but we definitely want to do this on the program where did you get started in role-playing oh gosh so you know i thought of, about that a lot the last couple of years because uh i've really been diving into the history of the game because i missed so much of that because of where i came in uh so i'm a little bit younger than you i was born in 78 so you know dungeons and dragons is already a thing by the time i was born uh, I didn't really get introduced to the game until I think it must have been around 1990. So right at the tail end of sixth grade, beginning of seventh grade, something like that. And unlike so many of the stories you hear from guys who are a little bit older, you know, your age, a little bit older. I didn't have anyone in my life in terms of like a relative, a brother, a cousin or anything like that that played to introduce me to the game, which is why it took me until I was about 12. Uh, but there's my best friend uh, through church. Uh, said, hey, I got this new game. Why don't you come over? You know, you kind of play some characters. And so we came over and I rolled up a character. We started playing and he introduced me to Middle Earth Roleplay. Oh, it was actually the first game wow. uh, that I played. And we only, <laughs> I mean, we we had no idea what we were doing whatsoever because he was in the same boat I was. He was the oldest. He didn't have anyone around that was really teaching him this stuff. Uh, but the next time I went over to the house, he had the second edition AD&D player's handbook and so that's then we really dived into that so uh you know by the time we got into the the game you know everything that we had access to was second edition and and of course you know we're young didn't know any better we thought oh second edition must be better than first i mean they can only improve <laughs> the game, more, right? isn't it <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> uh so uh, we just we took off with second edition and playing that and it had a great time you know we didn't know any better and every once in a while I'd bump into someone at school who played. We'd go to their house and play. And some of their older siblings would have some of those older older books. I have to admit, I didn't think much of them. Uh, coming in in second edition, you know, we were used to like, uh, you know, the Easley artwork, the uh -huh. Elmore artwork. Looking at some of that older stuff, I just, I didn't have the ability to appreciate it. Uh, you know, I've really come to appreciate some of those older artists now. Um but, you know, I just wasn't that interested in the older stuff because, again, I didn't have much access to it because we were going to places like Walden Books to buy our stuff. And, of course, they were only stocking the newest stuff. The newest, yeah. uh, but we had a great time anyway. You know, we we homebrewed the heck out of the system and ignored a whole bunch of rules and did whatever we want with proficiencies and stuff like that and, and had a good time. Uh, so we played that for a couple of years and then he got he found another game. Uh, to get us involved with. And that was really our game throughout uh, high school, which was Werewolf the Apocalypse. So moving into the whole world of darkness thing, uh, which was a lot of fun. He did, he was a fantastic uh, storyteller is what they call him in that system. Uh, and we just had a blast in that until then high school uh, comes to an end. We all go off to college. And uh, right, I, now, really... I, I got to, I got to perhaps uh, get you to make an admission here or maybe uh -oh. not. I don't know. But um, <laughs> so Werewolf the Apocalypse, uh, did you, did you do the LARPing? I have never LARPed. I can okay, honestly okay. say I, I have I'm never I'm looking him in the uh, eyes, folks. I do believe he's telling the truth. Okay, the eyes no, are straight we, forward, no up and to the left or anything like that. No, 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 no. 
Uh, this was strictly, I mean, we did, you can't even call it LARP. He, we brought in some props and stuff like that. He would do mm -hmm. that. I remember one time uh, he kind of set up, uh, we were at a friend's basement. He set up a desk with some of the clues and stuff we were supposed to find. That was the extent mm -hmm. of anything that would even approach LARP for us. You know, we were, we were not doing the weird hand symbols and you know, throwing <laughs> balls for fireballs and stuff like that. I, absolutely not. Uh, but then I, I went to college and I went to a, a small liberal arts school and for, I just never found anyone who gained uh, at the school. I, there must have been some people, but it just it, I never ran into anyone in the circles I uh, I was knocking about with. Uh, and so it really just kind of fell away from the game. We we played a few more times in that werewolf game the first couple of years in college just to kind of round up, round up the campaign mm -hmm. and end it. Uh, but then I took kind of a long hiatus from gaming. Uh, I got married right after college, went to graduate school. I just did not have the time for a lot of that. And it really wasn't until fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons came out that I got back into it. Uh, primarily, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Penny Arcade, but they were kind of the first to do some actual play podcasts and stuff like that. So I was listening to them. I was like, wow, this, this sounds pretty cool. I kind of like what I'm hearing. And but it was my wife then who said, well, you've been listening to this. You've been talking about it. She bought me the fourth edition player's handbook. And uh, as we've talked about before, you know, I'm one of the weirdos who I actually kind of liked fourth edition. I think fourth edition <laughs> had some really interesting ideas. Uh, part of the reason for that is probably because I completely missed third edition and I had no, you know, so I, what I was comparing it to was the second edition. And so I saw a lot of the improvements they were doing. And even in fifth edition, you can, you can see some of those fourth edition elements uh, yeah. still kind of sticking around. They just, they don't point that out too much. So some of those elements <laughs> came from fourth edition, but I had a real good time with that. And actually I started up a game with uh, a lady that I worked with and her and then my wife. So we played a few times and then uh, would play with my kids uh, every now and again. And uh, then when we moved here to Indiana and uh, uh, you know met you, and that's when I really started diving into more of the OSR, got to know DCC and MCC, uh, you know, picked up the old school essentials and all of that. And that's when I really started learning about the history because again, I just had no context for a lot of that and learning about the wargaming roots of role-playing and all the ins and outs of TSR and, and why all those systems were built the way they were just really helped to open up to me everything that I had missed when I was younger and, and honestly probably wouldn't have been able to appreciate back then anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've already had one product. I mean, you've had several things that you've put out there written, mm. um, but as far as Kickstarters go, Mm -hmm. uh, how long was it was it winter last no it, i'm trying to think when did the gong farmers militia come out <laughs> so that would have been about a year ago yeah a year ago okay so uh, yeah, it, it, it shipped about a year ago yeah okay yeah and so you know i remember what was it it was like a uh Oh, man, I can't even remember. Was it Christos or whatever? Like, like a little, yeah. little restaurant <laughs> joint. Uh, you, you're interested in getting into kickstarting, and I had, you know, just just a lick of uh, experience at that point. So we kind of got together to talk about it, and you, you came up with that. You know, you said, "Well, I, you know, I'm thinking of doing a a zine about all the henchmen and, and adding henchmen into MC or into uh, DCC." And I just mm -hmm. man, about my my jaw almost fell into my biscuits and gravy. It was like, wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. You know, I mean, here's this really old school feeling uh, game, but that has a, you know, more slicker modern mechanics to it. You know, how would you do that? How could you incorporate that with levels and all that? Um, so, I mean, that, that, you know, it, folks, if you haven't checked that one out yet, and I'm not saying this because I wrote a little piece in it. <laughs> I'm saying it because <laughs> it is a really cool zine. I, I look forward to seeing, you know, what else it inspires or if, you know, I don't know if you have a 
part two in mind or not, but uh, I've I've knocked around around some ideas for maybe doing a little bit, even doing something maybe for MCC with with Henchman and doing some things there. But yeah, that that was a fun zine to write. It really uh, the idea for it really arose out of that fifth edition game I'm running on Thursday nights because it's just the the couple and then my wife that are part of it. I I used a sidekick. Uh, I gave him a sidekick for the, some of those early adventures, uh, which is a mechanic that comes out of that essentials kit and then out of the the Tasha's book. Uh, and so that got me kind of thinking, well, you know, what does is, what is DCC have for henchmen and stuff like that? And I was kind of surprised. It was just kind of one page, very yeah. simple, very old school feel, which is is fine for DCC. But I thought, wow, you know, DCC is so known for the gonzo stuff and all the random mm -hmm. tables. I'm like, there's got to be a way to inject all of that uh, into the henchman mechanic. So that was then the idea to kind of play around with having different classes and giving a whole bunch of different tables. So you can really customize those henchmen and make them more than just kind of uh, faceless mooks. Not that there's yeah. anything wrong with face, faceless mooks. <laughs> uh, you know, you need a good unpaid lackey to go and trip the trap every once in a while. Uh, but just to give that kind of little extra something to give it that DCC flavor, uh, that that was a lot of fun. And and I, I the, like the it's, Kickstarter it's brilliant yeah. because you know, oftentimes you know, like, like for myself, you know, you can do the whole funnel thing and have you know, eighteen characters running around on a in a story, and that's fine, and that's that's something the DCC kind of. I don't know that you could really say they invented it, but they've they've really you know capitalized on it and made it a thing that's pretty standard now. Yeah. But I myself, I I love kind of the traditional, you know, you develop a character and you run it through the the you know put it through its paces, but it's still hard to do that if your group's not very large. So you know having those detailed henchmen and stuff to come along with you and being able to select them and and figure out you know what you can afford and all that. Uh, I, yeah. I just love the you know be able to do something like that with a, a campaign i know with yeah. my kids when, when we play they each have you know a couple people they've hired to go along with them and makes it so it's you know actual you know fair odds at trying to uh you know get through one of these slaughterhouses yeah uh, absolutely uh i'd be lying though if i didn't say there wasn't you know at least some some business purpose behind using that as my first project too i wanted something that was going to be i wanted something zine sized because i wanted it to be something pretty simple that i knew i could pull off pretty easily uh, something that if it didn't fund, I wouldn't feel too bad about. But if it did fund, I knew it wasn't going to break my bank because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, this, this is not a vanity press thing for me. It's It's got to at least pay for itself. Uh, but then also, I, I yeah, like you said, it, it wasn't really anything you were seeing out there in the in the third party space. So I thought there would at least be some interest in it. Uh, plus, it was something I could also do with, you know, just kind of stock art. I mean, most of the art that was in that zine, I bought as art packs from the artist. Now, I was lucky that the, the project did well enough. I was actually able to go back to that artist and say, hey, I'm doing this project. I'm using some of your art already. Here's a few pieces I would love to commission from you to, to kind of round it out. Because I had kind of mm -hmm. in my mind some of these characters, what they would look like. And I, I he didn't quite have that in the stock art. Uh, and so I was able to do three pieces of him that really, for me at least, you know, that's kind of what made the project for me was being able to get those commissioned pieces to make it truly what I had envisioned in my mind. Yeah, that's got to be, you know, I, I've said it many times before, that's got to be my my favorite thing about being a small publisher is just commissioning the art and seeing it come back. And, you know, it's, I don't know, something yeah. it's like yeah watching a baby be born you know <laughs> i told my wife that's that's one of my favorite feelings is paying an artist to, for doing great work for something that you've wanted <laughs> <laughs> now fast forwarding to to this uh this end of summer early fall you got another project up on kickstarter this time we've got an adventure and, and I, i've you know had the glory of being <laughs> able to test play it a little bit a fairly odd tale that's the title right 
Yeah, Fairly Odd Tale uh, actually started out as a 5th edition uh, adventure. It's what I actually originally kind of envisioned it as. Uh, so as you know, I do a little birthday con for myself every year, you know, <laughs> just invite a few friends to, to play. And so the very first one of those that I ran, I, I wrote this up as a little adventure to put some of my friends through. And I, I, I did it as a 5th edition adventure. And then as I was kind of parsing it out afterwards after doing that initial run through, I thought, yeah. You know, it, it worked in fifth edition, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's got more of a DCC flavor to it. So I, I kind of really shifted does. gears into the DCC. And yeah, that that is really when it took off. And, and when I really started feeling like, okay, yeah, there's there's something here. Uh, so I, if the title doesn't give it away, it's kind of a fairy tale adventure where you get sucked into a fairy tale book and have to go through, uh, you know, some of the stock stories. You run into the Hansel and Gretel house and there's the gingerbread man and uh, the Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, the giant's house. That's kind of the big uh, centerpiece of the whole thing but uh, you know there's lots of other just little mashed up fairy tale stuff into that uh, and I really I, I wanted to do something that was going to be fun that was going to be you know not super grim dark or anything like that but something that I could at least conceivably run for my kids uh, you know just, that I would feel like you know they could have a good time with and would kind of be able to play into the tropes and things like that mm-hmm. that's been one of the fun things playtesting is I've had some kids you know some younger gamers actually play through it uh, one of my favorite was Gen Con last year. I had a mom and her daughter play through it, and they just had a blast. And it was mom's first time ever role playing at all, and and she got right into it, and uh, they had a great time. That was it was a joy running for them. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing that I kind of took away from it is it's um it, it uses the fairy tale genre in you and in a unique way. I like like there's a lot of things that happen that you don't expect are going to happen. There's a couple tropes that you're like, okay, I know where this is going. Uh, there's a couple, I, I guess, you know, maybe grim dark's too harsh of a word for it, but but to me, there are a couple areas that the things got a little gritty that I didn't expect, like the uh, the, the, the goats uh, uh, yeah, carnivorously destroying the poor little gingerbread village. And, uh, yep, yep. But uh, yeah, it, it you you can scale it to you know the age of the audience. That's the other thing that's kind of you know if you've got adults, they're gonna they're gonna play more into some of those grim dark kind of things and really yeah. uh, go a little more gonzo with it. But uh, if it's if you got kids, they're not gonna do that. Although kids will always surprise you, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> this this past Gen Con, uh, I was running it for a group, and they. Uh, they took it in some pretty dark places in terms of in, in the giant's house. There's there's potentially some factions in the giant's house and uh, pitting some of the factions against one each other and only realizing at the end that, oh, maybe we allied ourselves with the wrong group. <laughs> <laughs> that that was kind of fun, but uh, it all worked out in the end. They got out. So. Yeah. The other thing I appreciate about this is um, I've, I've played or own other, I don't know that I necessarily call them fairy tale adventures but but adventures that that riff off of you know s- some more bizarre um origin content you know um mm. uh stefan Sratz, uh oh what is it called i can't believe that the winnie Pooh, oh, uh, winnie the Pooh one he did which is amazing i, I i'm not yeah. saying it's not but for me it's it's sort of built as a one shot whereas mm. this you put a kind of a tops and tails piece onto it where uh, it's almost like this is the fever dream of your of your adventurers and and they go in and they come back and it, it's you know it reminds me of a lot of Gygax's um man it's not my night to remember things um the the uh mirror the <laughs> the Alice in Wonderland one uh, through the uh not through the looking glass what oh man yeah I know what you're talking about I can't think of a name uh, either but anyhow there, there was a is a two set adventure that I own both of and cannot remember either title. It's like, D- Dungeon Land and the Land Beyond the Magic Mirror. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. 
Thank you. Guy, go, the, the guy can Google like nobody's business. All right. So, uh, but yeah, it, it reminds me of that where it's, um, it can be played through and, and then back again. And, you, and you're not just doing a one shot or, I mean, you could use it as a one shot, obviously, but, um, yeah. but I just really appreciate that, that you kind of thought of a clever way to kind of fit it in and not make it such an awkward departure from whatever your campaign is that it, it's like, well, what are we doing now? Now this, we can't come back from this. So. Yeah, and again, that was kind of intentional. As, as much as I love one shots, and really, I, I I most love running convention games. You know, where uh, you, you're not too attached to the character, and so you're willing to take a few more risks. You know, I, I love watching players do that when I'm judging games at, at conventions. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I know, I know within the DCC community, there's a lot of talk. Is DCC more of a one shot game? Is it more of a campaign game? And I'm on the side that I think it, it can do really, really well with campaign play, and so that's why mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I was accommodating that. Uh, because that's probably how, if, if I were running it, like in our, our Sunday game or something, that's probably how I would run it, would be part of a larger campaign. Yeah. And, and you know what's funny is, like, you know, we ran that MCC campaign. Now, granted, you know, I think it was about a year, maybe a little mm -hmm. short of a year. But uh, I, I I prefer that. I felt it made a very good campaign. I mean, I'm not, like, tooting my own horn. I'm not saying I DM'd it really well. But <laughs> just that, like, there was there were things to do around every corner. There was, you know, in when you're playing your own character and you're not being crazy gonzo all the time, like you do at a convention, um, a lot of the problems people complain about kind of disappear. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that people have that discussion. I think a lot of people that claim that it's not a campaign style set of rules uh, have not tried it as a campaign is my opinion. Yeah. Or they've leaned a little too much into that gonzo aspect yeah. to it, which, you know, rightly or wrongly, that's what DCC is known for. But yeah, I think, I actually think, when you're playing your characters a little more straight, it actually allows the Gonzo to be a little more Gonzo uh, when you can kind of play the straight person, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely makes it pop more. Let's talk a little bit about designing for DCC. Um, mm. it, it's it, <laughs> There are things about it that are very easy to explain. And, in, 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 you know, like like one thing for me that I just love is, is the crazy dice. Because <laughs> as a designer, sometimes it's hard to think of 12 things uh, or 12 is a bad example. Sometimes it's hard <laughs> to think of eight things, but you can think of seven, you know, and so yes. making like tables and stuff. Uh, you, you can vary hit die of creatures a lot more. And, and there's just some variance just in the simple fact that it uses all the crazy dice. And that's mm. fun as a design standpoint. But what are some things that you, you know, setting out to write this stuff, that you kind of you know, like this is the stamp that is DCC. This, these are some aesthetics that that make it you know worthy of having that moniker. Mm, mm, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think part of it, and and this is you know, it it's an old school kind of principle in general is you know setting up situations but not solutions. Uh, the players will come up with the solutions, and I find that's especially true in DCC mm -hmm. because they've got so many different tools available to them. Particularly if you've got spellcasters into the mix. Uh, you know, you we've seen in our game that we've played, you know, just the real creativity you can bring with some of those spells because they're not so constrained in terms of their description on top of, you know, if you need to, you can spell burn and add some luck and yeah. stuff like that to get the <laughs> to get the result that you really need to pull off whatever wacky uh, plan you might have in mind. Uh, I think that's really, really helpful that not having to not having to write the out within the particular scenario that you're writing. I find that's really, really helpful. Uh, another thing I love about DCC, and actually it, it's something I think is kind of the hidden sauce of DCC that doesn't get talked about enough, at least from a judge's standpoint, is the luck mechanic. 
I use luck all the time. Anytime, you know, there's something that I don't know the answer to, I almost always will say, roll a luck check for that, you know? Uh, (laughs) You know, which way is that statue facing? Oh, give me a luck check. Did I remember to pack 50 feet of rope? Give me a luck check. Uh, (laughs) And I I was thinking about, I was reflecting on this the other day. Part of what I love about it is it takes some of the mental burden off of the judge from having to come up with the answer right away when you can just leave it to the roll of the dice. Uh, plus then it's not your fault if it doesn't go the way that, <laughs> <laughs> that the players want it to go so you can shift the blame to the dice instead which is nice uh, so i i find I'm trying your buddy to... it's the die screen you <laughs> I, I, I was on your side you know? <laughs> uh, so finding ways to interject luck or at least opportunities where luck could come into play uh i find that's really uh uh it, it it makes designing for DC easier than other systems mm-hmm. because you've always got that out uh, to yeah. just say, oh, just make it a luck check. One of the things I like about luck is I like to put like little goofy things that characters can do in my adventure that have no real relevance necessarily to the plot, but it's mm. just something fun and cool. And if they do it, boom, you get a luck point, you know? Um, yeah. Like in that that first adventure, I had like a car sitting like at the edge of a broken overpass, you know, just ready. The whole overpass was just ready to fall off. But for you know whatever reason, it was local legend that if you could honk the horn of the car, that you would be blessed with good fortune. So, you know, things <laughs> like that. It's just fun to have that little extra thing that's not a not a combat mechanic, not a you know driving the plot sort of uh, make skill rolls kind of thing. But yeah, particularly particularly if you're running rules as written where. You know, you, you don't earn back luck. Luck is kind of a precious resource. So mm-hmm. uh, every little point of luck, uh, that that's a special thing when you can get one of those yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> what about, um, there's two things I feel are, are really necessary to, to, you know, do DCC and MCC justice. Uh, the, the main one I'm thinking of right now uh, to start us with, charts. What do you think about the creation of charts, how to use charts? You know, do they slow down the game? Do they speed it up? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think they slow down the game. Uh, I think you need to be judicious in their use. Uh, I think, you know, you need to know what the purpose of this chart is. Why is it you want all of these different options or all these different random possibilities? Uh, being able to think that through and be able to justify, even if just to yourself, why you're putting that chart in there, I think is important. That having been said, I agree with you. I think charts are integral to DCC. Uh uh, I think part of it, it helps you to really make your game unique. So that when you're, you know, if you're playing like a published module, when you're sharing those gaming stories at the bar, you know, late night at a convention, you know, well, we rolled this on the chart. Well, we rolled this. And so we had to do this. And, you know, that that's part of what makes the game yours and makes yours a more unique experience uh, than someone else's because you happen to roll the four or they happen to roll the seven. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot imagine a DCC module where you're not flipping through and there's at least a few charts in there. Uh, and certainly I've got some in, in, in my adventure that I'm kickstarting right now. <laughs> <laughs> can you, can you give us a sneak peek? What's one of your favorites mm. that you worked on? One, and it's one, at least in playtest, it hasn't come up a whole lot. Uh, it's in the giant's house. And so sometimes people don't get to everything in the giant's house, which is fine. You don't have to, a lot of the stuff's just kind of there, uh, just to play with. Uh, the giants uh, sleep in front of a table and on the table, there's just an array of different jars and potions and things. And you can just kind of pick one up and you roll on the chart to find out what that potion is <laughs> going to do to you. And some of it's really, really good. Some of it's pretty not nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from, I think, I think the one turns you into a chicken for 10 minutes. Uh, I think the 20, uh, I think you earn back a luck point. I think I put that in that Excellent. one as well. Yeah. You get a little lucky potion. <laughs> 
So the, the other element that I love and, and look forward to when I'm creating DCC and MCC stuff is the uh, that concept they put forth about like the monster instead of a monster. And where mm. you're designing the the creatures and stuff that the characters running into is, is very independent and unique encounters. You got much to say about that? Oh, yeah. I, that's one of my one of the things I love about the design philosophy of DCC is, you know, we don't you don't have the stock orc. You don't have the stock goblin. And so it really allows the the designer to be as creative as they want to be when creating those monsters. Uh We've talked about the next adventure I'm writing right now, which, which is a funnel, but it's a funnel in which the characters play undead. I'm having a lot of fun just designing all both the the undead creatures that you're going to be working alongside, as well as all the living folks that are attacking this the stronghold of your uh, your undead servitor, uh, as it were, or master. Uh, you know, and, and just being able to work with the tropes but then also work in you know little homages and stuff to different things you know for i i'm trying to go through and try to find as much fantasy undead movies and stuff like that mm -hmm. which uh, i would love suggestions if you got any because i'm actually coming up kind of short but uh you know i watched through like army of darkness and so there's a few homages to, to army of darkness in there and uh you know i that what's that's another thing i love about dcc is just all the little the little in jokes and if if you know the references you know the references mm -hmm. those are always a lot of fun to stumble across but uh yeah you know uh making those things uh as unique as possible yeah absolutely i think you you got to do that if you're running a dcc module no one no one's playing dcc to play a, uh, against a stock orc <laughs> <laughs> what else what what comes to your mind when you're thinking designing for dcc um well, let me think what else. Uh, Aaron Creeder, art. Oh, well, yeah, let's talk about art. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, Aaron uh, did the cover for Fairly Odd Tale. That was one of the pieces I knew I had to have in place before uh, I did the Kickstarter. And, you know, when I was starting to envision putting this thing together as an actual printed project, uh, Aaron's the first person I thought of uh, when I thought of who do I want to do that that cover. I've been a fan of his ever since uh, Welcome to Eastwood. Oh, yeah uh but you know we i ran you guys ran through as part it, of that yeah. sunday game and just it was funny because i think like i think at least half of us in the group had ordered that as a kickstarter so we yeah. all had to be very you know very <laughs> honest engine not gonna read it not gonna look you know that was a fun one yeah it was uh but i i love his art style his art style it's i wouldn't call it cartoony but it you know it's definitely more of an illustrator style than a uh, you know, trying to represent stuff in photorealistic kind of style, mm -hmm. which again is is kind of what I wanted for this adventure. I wanted something a little more uh, illustrative uh, in nature, but I love just his his play on colors. I love his sense of scale on a lot of his things, and I, you know, having the giant on the cover, oh, I was yeah. like, I I knew. And I'll be honest, you know, I I kind of described the scene to him, but I had I had a pretty clear picture in my mind about what I wanted that cover to look like. Uh, I didn't sketch it out or anything for him. He nailed it. I mean, he just absolutely nailed That's exactly what was in my brain uh, and then added, you know, nice little details that I didn't have in there. And so I've, I actually went back in and added some of those details into the actual adventure. Uh, so it reflects the cover just because I, I love some of his little his little flourishes, like the guy. Uh, cutting into the sack the of money hanging from the <laughs> the giants you know, that's now in the adventure that's little sack of money is there that's you know that's gonna be a nasty little thing most you know players are gonna be really tempted to get that money but boy that's gonna make a loud noise that could wake the giant so <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i mean art and uh, having particular art style for dcc i think is really important as as well when you're talking about doing stuff as like a, a printed project uh i'm not sure i could describe the art style for dcc i'm not an artist myself but mm -hmm. you know that kind of old school style 
uh, that kind of hits on the grittiness, but also just the absurdity of fantasy adventuring. Uh, I always think of that great picture in the DCC rule book of the, the wizard spell that's gone wrong and the fighter's heads turned into a chicken <laughs> head. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, stuff like that that just kind of, it's a game, folks. Let's not take this too terribly <laughs> seriously. Uh, we're meant to have fun while we're doing this. Uh, I think that's a great component that DCC, I, I, that's almost the word I would use to describe DCC. It's just, it's just fun. You know, it gets a lot of the cruft of the rules out of the way so that you can just kind of enjoy playing the game, uh, which uh, is really refreshing when you're coming off of crunchier systems. Uh, and, you know, is it, one of the big differences between designing between DCC and like something like 5e, which does have a little more crunchier rules. You know, it's a little more prescriptive in terms of how you're going to design a monster, how you're going to... Uh, uh, think about the setting, you know, if you're doing something, especially within more of the official D&D kind of stuff. Uh, it's a little more prescribed, which isn't bad per se, uh, but I find it a little bit harder because, you know, let's just take monsters, for instance. I mean, writing DCC monsters is it's pretty easy. You know, you oh, don't yeah. have to worry too much about balance. You just kind of eyeball it and uh, you, you know, there's room for descriptions in terms of if you want to do something special with attacks or something like that. Whereas if you're designing a 5e monster, boy, you know, I got to stat out all the different attributes. I got to make sure everything's, you know, somewhat balanced. I got to assign it uh, a challenge rating and all of that. Oh, all the different immunities. And it's just a lot more work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's good work and it's it's worth doing. But, uh, you know, I was actually looking back to that. It's been a while since I've looked at my fourth edition books. I didn't even realize even fourth edition had all six of the attributes as part of the monster stats. And I tend to think of fourth edition monster stats as being a little more streamlined, a little simpler mm-hmm. to run. Uh, in part because it, uh, one of the things I liked about the fourth edition kind of mindset was everything's in the monster stat block. So monsters in fourth editions didn't have access to like the spells in the player's handbook. They might have spell-like effects and spell-like attacks and things like that, but everything was on the page. So there was none of this. I mean, I, my Thursday night game, there's been times where I've had to have like three books spread out in front of me <laughs> just to run a combat uh, because I'm constantly flipping back between the monster and then the spell they're going to use and this and that. Uh, you know, I'm much more like having just everything right there. Yeah. So I'm not having to do all that flipping around. I've been trying to do that with the the unnatural selections i you know i got the did the volume last year and i've, I've got one mm-hmm. i'm working on now a little booster that i'm trying to get out in october but um but that's one of the things i've been trying to do is because even though i love the wide variety of of possibilities of rolling on a spell chart or a mutation chart mm-hmm. i kind of figure that you know that's one more book or, or one more flip around of a book so if i if i can give like a condensed version of the power right there on the monster page you know, if, if if a game master doesn't want to go with that, hey, they can still look it up in the book. But if they want to do with a, a truncated chart that just has like four possible results, uh, I mean, it says very clearly in both rule books that, you know, these are the monsters. These are not PCs. They do not go by PC rules. They don't play fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it kind of gives you that license to be able to make specific rules, you know, for each monster. And, and this monster may choke a person with this system of suffocation or asphyxiation and this one might do it a different way. And, and they're designed to give you the feel that that monster is designed to give you, uh, you know, this one, it's, you know, a fast acting, you know, you're, you're knocked out from it and uh, your other party members have to save you. This one, it's more deadly, but it takes longer to happen. And, uh, and I think that's neat. You know, I, I don't think mm-hmm. that you have to have uniformity all the time in a, in a role-playing system. 
No, it goes back to what we said about making your monsters unique. And sometimes that's going to mean even unique at the system level uh, yeah. so that you get that proper feel that you're looking for. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on this idea of designing for DCC? Uh, you know, just if anyone's listening and they've kind of been thinking about diving into it, I would just say do it. I mean, I I by no means have an extensive background in game design or, <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, I'm very much learning by doing. And I've certainly... You know, found in playtests that I've made some mistakes here and there, and uh, I have a tendency probably to underpower my monsters. So I'm I'm always looking for how do I how do I beef up the monsters a little bit, uh, not just by you know increasing the armor class or the hit points or something like that, but you know giving them some one little additional extra power to play with, or uh, even uh, what I've really found useful sometimes with DCC monsters is just giving them an extra attack. You know, don't you don't need to make them overpowered. But you give them an extra attack and suddenly people are, are standing up and taking notice because that's <laughs> that's something you don't see a whole heck of a lot is monsters that can attack more than once in a round. <laughs> well, I, I like their concept of, of the die chain in attacks where you could have have that second attack be a D16. So mm -hmm. it's threatening, but it's not overwhelming. You know, it's every third time it's going to hit. So, you know, you, you're able to able to attack your paladin once with your powerful attack and then able to slap around the wizard with your lesser attack and spread the love, you know. Yeah, or or give the players abilities or, or give the players opportunities to make that change themselves to bring down that action die. So I've got one of the monsters in uh, the Fair of the Odd Tale is a candy golem. And if you use fire against the candy golem, his outer kind of candy shell starts to harden a little bit. <laughs> and so he moves slower and he attacks at a negative 1D. So instead of that D20, he's rolling the D16 instead for one round. Uh, so, you know, crafty players can catch on to that, and that gives them a really distinct advantage in that fight. Nice. All right, so a fairly odd tale. It's on Kickstarter now. Um, mm -hmm. I imagine this this is going to come out at least by Saturday. So mm. what, what do we have left? Uh, you're on, like, day 18 right now? Is that what we're on? Oh, not even that. So it's it was only a 23-day uh, project. It'll be over on September 17th. So okay. folks have got plenty of time. It's already funded. So we're just maybe looking at trying to get down some stretch goals uh, just to increase the first stretch goal, which I really hope we hit. Uh, I will fully stat out uh, Mother Goose as a patron for DCC, uh, including three additional spells. So uh, <laughs> I'm really hoping we hit that one because I, I, I've got some fun ideas in there for that. <laughs> <laughs> what are our reward tiers on this? Yeah, so they're they're pretty simple. Uh, I am designing it both for DCC and for 5e, so that's kind of your main choices. Uh, which rules flavor do you want? Uh, I've got a PDF option. I've got a print and PDF option. Uh, and I think there's one left if you're really crazy and want me to run you a, a four-hour <laughs> online session. I, I've got a, a big $150 uh, reward. Uh, I'll run some games for you. But uh, two, I've only got three of those available, and two have already been snapped up. Nice. So. Yeah, yeah. And people really you know it. or strangers? Uh, one of them is someone I know. Uh, I, I actually texted him and said, Hey, I'll, if you want me to run a game for you? You know, all you got to do is ask, but you know, uh, he's just, you know, happy to support the project. And I, awesome. I really appreciate it of him. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually my friend who introduced me to role playing in the first place. So oh, we're cool. still in touch and, you know, we still play at least once a year together. So <laughs> nice. well, that is awesome folks. Uh, you know, get on Kickstarter, give it a look. Uh, I, I, I've played it. I can endorse it fully and say, you're going to have a blast getting through it. Lots to explore there. Lots of clever little uh, setups where you, you got to make a choice uh, who you're going to help or who you're not going to help and whether that bites you in the butt later on. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a fun, imaginative romp here. 
Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. And, um, you know, we got to get you back on for a regular episode. Uh, you're just such an eloquent guy, man. You, you speak so well, man. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And, and you know, let me just say publicly, thank you for all the help you've given me as I've kind of taken this journey of game design. You have been an invaluable uh, source of advice and encouragement, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate that, man. I'm just, I'm paying it forward. You know, uh, everybody in this industry is helping somebody out and that's what makes it work. Uh, speaking of which, real real quick, folks, just want to do a quick shout out because it's about over. Um, Levi Combs was actually supposed to be on here tonight with us, uh, but he's having all sorts of internet issues. Some of you that caught him on the Hobbs and Friends show last night kind of saw some of that go down. Uh, so he bowed out uh, respectfully so that it wouldn't mess up our, our uh, he's working on a solution. I think uh, he sounds like he's going to get one get one in place. So we will hopefully have him back on the program. He'll be on other programs, but I do want to say he's got, I think somewhere between five to three days left on his, <laughs> um, uh, uh, the, I, oh man, uh, the, <laughs> the closet of the eye wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you haven't seen this, it's a zine that he has kind of amalgamed together from, uh, some of the greatest writers in the industry right now and greatest artists i mean it, you, you, oh. I, I couldn't i i don't want to list because i don't have it in front of me and if i miss someone i'd be embarrassed because it, it's that many great people i don't want to offend anyone it is a who's who of artists and game designers it, it is amazing yeah it's, it's one of those ones where as you scroll down you're like and him <laughs> and him <laughs> it's uh so the, the the premise is this is a uh a collection of magical hats and each write-up kind of takes that premise and, and goes in you know sort of different directions i mean i think they all kind of tell you what the hat does and what powers it bestows and what curses come with it and all that kind of thing but i think some of them hint at you know adventures that uh feed off of the the hat and you know just just a wide variety if, if you've ever bought anything of planet x you know what you're getting into uh it, it's everything in the kitchen sink and it's all stuff you want so check that out also cabinet of the eye wizard couple days left on kickstarter a fairly odd tale few more days than that left on kickstarter uh so so go go check out these games support some uh small publishers and let's not forget your cover stories for dcc <laughs> and mcc currently on kickstarter as well really excited yeah I, that. I, I, now fully funded yes uh so yeah if you want to check that out too i've, I've got some kind of what, what should have been pamphlet modules but i just couldn't quite get them down to that size but but they're they're fun and they're quick uh take a look at those if you want folks um, they'll be up there for, I think almost another 20 days or something. So, all right. Well, folks, thank you for listening and, uh, we'll catch you in September here with a regular episode. You have been listening to this whole dungeon a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! Happy gaming!